You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. So we're continuing our series. What an awesome week we had last week with Mark Estes and uh, Seth being up, Seth Sokoloff, good friends of ours now from Portland. Uh, they always appreciate the distance when they when they come here and they remember how long it is for me to fly there, which I've done like three times a year lately. So um, we were really grateful to have them with us. It was an awesome time. What a great message from Mark on Sunday. It was really impactful. So we're jumping back into our Genesis series and hopefully you have some notes with you. And I'm going to kind of jump right in because a little shorter on time today than normal, but but uh, we'll keep, keep on moving. So here's Genesis 6. This is kind of where we left off. Jessica preached up a little bit of Genesis 6. And I kind of want to pick up on some scriptures there and kind of hit a theme today. Hopefully you have your notes with you. But we want to hit a theme today, a theme that we all love to talk about, obedience. <laughs> you can laugh because nobody likes to talk about obedience. <laughs> it's like, doesn't it just like hit a nerve when you say that word? Unless you're the parent saying it to your child. You want them to be obedient, but you don't want to be obedient to anybody else, right? And so there's this thing, I think, especially in us as Americans, it's like obedience is just something we don't want to, we want to push off of us. Like, oh, don't demand obedience to me. But there's something about obedience in Christianity that matters. There's something about obedience when we actually say we want to follow Jesus, you know, I make this joke a lot. Following Jesus is literally that. You are the follower. You are no longer the leader of your life. You're actually the follower in your life. And so it, it actually requires a certain amount of obedience on our part. And so we see this theme start to take place even as early, obviously even earlier than this. We see some disobedience that takes place. But in Genesis 6, we kind of see Noah in the story of Noah. And we're not going to read. We're going to go through 6 through 9 today. I'm not going to read the whole chapters, obviously. You can take that home and read the story of Noah for yourself to get some more of the details. But I want to hit some of the main points or themes of what happens here with Noah, and and regardless of actually the story. So there's a story that takes place with Noah. If you don't know it, uh, the world gets really bad, real, real bad. And if you think our world's bad, I think their world was probably worse. And the, the idea of what was taking place in the world was so bad that God decides he has to start over. This is a harsh, difficult decision. Now, I want to read a scripture because so many people, especially um, non-Christians or maybe even atheists or, or people who would be against God, always look back in the Old Testament and they really, really kind of pin God as this extremely harsh character. And there's a lot of reasons why. There's a lot of stories in the Old Testament where there's just a lot of brutality. And this is one of them. This is like the first one where we see God, instead of acting in grace over humanity, there's this side that's judgment. And it's difficult to deal with. It's difficult to actually understand. But I want to read this first scripture just to kind of think about it for a moment. And it's Genesis 6-6. So here we are. The world has gone wrong. Things have gone astray from the way God designed them. We saw from chapter 3 to chapter 6, the murder, all sorts of horrible things. We don't even know the timeline that's taken place between Genesis 3 and the fall and Genesis 6, but it's, it's hundreds of years. 
And we get to this place, and it says this with verse 6. And it was after God was describing that the world has just, well, well, let's read verse 3. It says, Then the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh in the future and their normal lives. And he's talking about limiting our lives. And he's talking about the fact that they've done anything they want to do. But in verse 6, it says, So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. Now, that's hard to hear. Now, let me just say this. Has there ever been a moment as a parent, you were sorry you ever made them? And all the real parents say yes. All the two good Christian parents are like, oh, I would never think such a thing. Sorry, I'm judging you. There are moments when you're like, why did I make this decision? <laughs> and, and if you have extra numbers, if the, the larger your family is, I'm guessing you probably have thought that a few extra times. Now imagine if you're God and you've got millions of kids and you're going, why did I do this? Why did I give them free will? Why did I put that darn tree in the garden? Now it's kind of a rhetorical why because this is God, right? But we see this scripture here that should bring a little bit, and, and listen, I want to be very careful and don't judge me for this, because we take God and we make him a sterile robotic being, but what scriptures like I'm about to redo actually bring God a little bit closer to what we understand as humanity. And I want to be careful because God is not human, but we bear his image. So guess what? God has emotions. I might even go as far as to say this. God has some regrets. Now you can judge me for that. But it's because he looks at his creation that he designed to act a certain way. And when it doesn't, there's almost a regretfulness that it's happening. He says it himself. If you don't like it, take it up with him when you see it. He literally says, I'm sorry I ever put them on the earth. But then here's the next words that really matter. It broke his heart. Think about this. We take God and we make him this unhuman, un, unpersonable being, and we make him this sterile kind of thing. We think he's just up there on a throne with a big stick ready to, ready to clobber us when we do wrong. Yet there's a, a scripture that literally says we've broken his heart. I don't even know if God has a heart. Apparently he might. I don't know if it pumps blood, literally, or if it's this proverbial idea of a heart. But there's a place where literally humanity went so wrong we've broken his heart. And God realizes somehow in this whole thing of us going awry that the best solution for humanity is to basically start over. And this is where Noah's family comes in. We jump down to verse 7 and 8, and this is God's declaration. He says, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them. But, and this is a really good but, but Noah found favor with the Lord. You see, one thing that we're going to see through Scripture and why we're taking Genesis and then we're going to speak about Revelation and why we're trying to look at humanity from the beginning is because we don't really change. We put on different clothes and 
we have new technology and we might live in different types of buildings, but the truth is we are pretty much the same humans that we've been since the beginning. Repeating the same mistakes and the same cycles of history, history can easily show you that. The Bible shows us that. But we see this moment that even when the world is gone wrong and it's literally at this stage where God is sorry for even making us, there's still a people that found favor with him. There's still a people on the earth who have favor with God. Now this is Noah, this is the first time we see kind of this family dynamic begin to take place where God's going to make some covenants and promises with them. But what we see is that translates over to the church. When Jesus comes on the scene and he calls the church out, these called out ones for a purpose, that he's put a purpose on us and he has a covenant with us. I think right now God is a little disappointed with the earth. In 2022, I'm guessing his heart is broken a little bit. You know, every time I read the news and my heart is broken by the situation of our current world, school shootings, grocery store shootings, church shootings, murder, racism, division, every time that I get there and I get emotions about it, I don't know if you get emotions about it, but I do. I'll just be honest, my general emotions, anger. But sometimes I literally feel this pain, this pain of like, what are we doing to ourselves? And every time I feel these emotions, this is what I'm reminded by. Imagine what God must feel in this moment. Here I am in my human incapacities, trying to understand the world, and really, just being real honest with you, we're only looking at a small portion of the world. We only see the world that makes the news. The only reason you're really distraught over Ukraine is because they look a little more like us than the rest of the world who's been at war for hundreds of years. I'm just being honest with you. But they make the news because, and my son, my son was actually one of the moments that I realized, he was so disturbed because when he saw the, the videos online, he was like, Dad, it's like a real city and real people just like us. I'm like, yeah. But we, we kind of can easily fluff off third world countries and their wars because it doesn't seem like us. The world has been awry for a very long time. And anytime I feel emotions towards the state of the world, I have to realize Jesus, God, he must have a broken heart over what's happening right now. Now, thankfully, he promises at the end of the story, he's not going to wipe us all out again. And thankfully, he actually has a solution to the world in this disorder. And guess what it is? You and me. You and me and Jesus within us. You see, he actually puts this purpose on the church to right the world. To actually bring the kingdom of God to this earth. And he gives us this job and this purpose with righting the world around us. We're supposed to be influencing the world around us. Now, I, I want to have a little caveat. I think we should be influencing everything that we're involved in. But listen, Facebook isn't your main influencer. Just being loud on Facebook doesn't mean you've changed the world. It mostly means you've annoyed some people. But we should be changing the world around us. If we don't like the politics, run for politics. For real. I think we should have more congressmen, senators. I think we should have more 
local councilmen that come from Christianity saying, I'm going to change the world in which we live. Thank you for those who are running, actually. I know some of you are in this room. Because listen, just being loud to the world doesn't do much. Everybody can do that nowadays. But when we realize that God's given us this purpose to change things, then we actually take on what he's called us to do. And this is the story of Noah. Now, these chapters are a little bit about the flood, and it's about the the intricacies of what takes place in there, but the reality is we should focus in on the family of Noah and say, what about them is what we should be about? What What did God see in them that, he, that found favor with him. So I want to move on. So it says, so it says, but Noah found favor with the Lord. So now I'm going to jump down to chapter or verse 18 of chapter 6. And I want to read a scripture here. This is God speaking. God speaks quite a bit through these chapters. And he says, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and female, into the boat with you to keep alive during the flood. And he goes on to describe a bunch of things. And it says, and be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for all the animals. In verse 22, so Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. It's a big point. Two big things happen in this chapter. Well, a lot of big things actually happen in this chapter, but two big things I want to point out. One is this. We see the word covenant for the very first time in the Bible. This is a big deal. Covenant has been misused, I think, in Christianity to a degree. But there's something that really matters when we look at this word covenant in the Bible. And often I think when we think covenant or promise, we always think of Abraham. But the reality is is that covenant actually begins with God with Noah. It actually doesn't begin with Adam. You see, Adam had this chance to live in a perfect garden. Adam and Eve could have shaped and done all the things he designed to do, but then they didn't. It isn't until we get to Noah that God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. He hadn't actually made this promise with Adam and Eve. He had designed them to live a certain way, and they just didn't do it. Pretty much all they got was an ugly curse. But then we get to Noah, and we see this kind of refresh start (laughs) of the world, and God starts by saying, I will make a covenant with you and your family. And this word covenant, it's in your notes, it says agreement, a pledge, or an obligation. That God is literally obligating himself to humanity after this point. That he's actually saying, listen, I know that what I'm doing right now is tough, it's harsh, And we've got to start over. But from now on, it's going to look different. I'm going to actually act differently within the world is what we see take place. We don't see much of God from chapters 3 through 6 other than this confrontation of sin. And then we see this refresh. And now from here through Abraham, through Israel, through David, through all the prophets, through up to Jesus' time and beyond that, we see this new understanding of how God is going to interact in the world. And we see this covenant promise that takes place beginning here in chapter 6, verse 18. He says, I will make a covenant with you. Now, we don't fully understand the covenant yet. He'll lay it out a little bit in the next couple chapters. But what we see is this response from Noah. So God gives him some plans, these first things 
that he's supposed to do. And it says this, so Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. Now let's just jump down a number of verses, chapter, or chapter 7, verse 5. Again, it's repeated. But I want to I read this. So it says, so Noah did everything as the Lord commanded him. Now, I put it in your notes. What's the difference between these two lines? The first one, it says, so Noah did everything as God had commanded him. Noah did everything, in verse 5, as the Lord commanded him. I know this is a nuance here, but I want to make a big point. Something changes between Genesis 6, 22, where, where Noah looks at God and calls him God, but then in verse 5 of chapter 7, he calls him Lord. And I want to I say today, if there's something I want to leave you with when we talk about obedience and faith, and having a relationship with God, because I think they're all intertwined, is you do not want to just know God or know about him. You see, Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you shall be saved. In 2022 in America, we don't really understand what it means to say someone is Lord. It immediately in that century, and even all the way back in Genesis, would denote something that Americans actually have rebelled against for the last couple hundred years. We don't want someone over us. We don't want a Lord over our life. A Lord literally determines your life. A Lord is not just someone we look to. So we look at Romans 10, 9, and, and we look at a, and this Savior-type idea, like, oh, Jesus, thank you for saving me. But the reality is it's us taking a shift from being in control of our lives and now saying, okay, Jesus is the Lord of my life. It means now he's in charge and I no longer am. And so there's a place where I think a lot of Christians come and they believe in God. But we haven't necessarily made him Lord. And this is a dangerous thing that we can do to ourselves. There's this place where we could live totally believing in God, but never making him our Lord, therefore literally being in disobedience to him because we don't want to do what he says. I would not want to be caught knowing God exists, but not actually acting as if he's my Lord. And we see a difference here in Noah's life. Something changes between these few verses. At first, he just responds and it says, so Noah did everything God had commanded him. But then it changes the relationship and it says, but so Noah did everything the Lord had commanded him. And I really think that the difference here to get this relationship that we want to have with Jesus is this obedience thing. There's this part of Christianity where we actually have to do what Jesus tells us to do. And, it, and if you think that Jesus is telling you just to come to church on Sunday from 9 to 10.30, you're confused about Christianity. You see, Jesus really wants every minute of our life. He wants all that we are. He doesn't want a piece or a portion or a moment. He wants everything within us. And so everything we do is actually spiritual. 
coming to church on Sunday or going to your small group or maybe the devotional time that you give to God by, by reading or, or listening to worship music, we always say those are the spiritual moments of our life, but the reality is everything we do and how we act is spiritual. When we come to Jesus and we accept him as our Savior and we want to make him Lord of our life, that means that every moment of your life is something literally in front of Jesus. How we act in church and how we act in the workplace should be the same. How we speak to our neighbors and how we speak to our church friends should be the same. How we act at a hockey game and how we act at home should be the same. There's this place where we're supposed to be making God literally the Lord of our life. And, and I, I read these scriptures about Noah, and I, I would love if someone would say, so Greg did everything as the Lord commanded him. I don't think they could write that about me. It would be maybe read more like, so Greg tried to do some things as the Lord commanded him. But yet, if we want to have this relationship with Christ that is the, the way it's supposed to be, it means that we actually put him in this lordship place. We don't just look at him as God anymore or even just as Savior, but now we put him in this lordship place. And I think that is when we actually start to say, oh, well, look, Greg has found favor with the Lord. Where we could put our name in the same place as Noah and, and look at our family name. All oh, the, the Hazeltons have found favor with the Lord. I'm sure you guys have. You're awesome. That we could look and say, could, could this be said about us? Because what's going to happen here is as God refreshes the world and as this flood takes place and everything else dies, Noah and his family are the only ones left now to represent the image of God in this world. And so God had to pick someone who was going to do everything he asked him to do. And he picked someone who, who, there was favor with him, not just because, oh, Noah was a cool guy. Or maybe because he looked at Noah and was like, yeah, I, I guess he could probably build a big boat. It wasn't really about his talents or his usefulness. It was about whether or not he was going to listen to him. You see, this is where faith and obedience to me are nearly the same thing. If we put faith in this category as if it's just some idea of like, oh, faith means that I believe God exists. That's like scratch the surface faith. But the faith that God is looking from us, and the same faith that he was looking from Noah, is a faith that literally now puts our lives into action following him. A faith that says, wow, I don't even understand it. I mean, if we get anything from the story of Noah, we should literally go, Wow, he's asking Noah to do something he can't even possibly understand. Hey, how about you build this giant boat in the middle of the land? It's a really good idea. I know there's no lakes or rivers or oceans near you, but don't worry, I'll bring you one. And he gives him this plan, and he has to literally, I mean, now we don't know. Is God talking to him face to face? I don't know if he is. Is Noah just hearing voices in his head? I mean, we diagnosed that this day and age. But here we are, he's listening to God and he's actually building something, he's putting to action without any understanding or explanation of whether this might be real, he does it. That's faith and obedience together. See, I think sometimes we have this shallow idea of faith, it's like, well, I believe in Jesus, so I'm going to go to church. 
I believe in Jesus, so I might read my Bible. But really what we're supposed to be doing is believing in Jesus so that everything in our lives becomes transformed and we act different. We look different. We make different decisions. We build boats in our, I mean, don't build boats in your yard, but we do things that might not make sense to the world around us, but we know that Jesus has commanded us to do something, so we do it. This is finding favor with God. You know, if you jump down, I have in your notes, John, I actually wrote the wrong thing there. I put John 4, that's wrong, it's John 14. If you go to John 4, that'll be about the woman at the well. But John 14, it says this, this is Jesus. He says, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Listen to this language. All who love me will do what I say, will be obedient to him. He says, my Father will love them, and this relationship actually starts to mean something. And then it says, and we will come and make our home with each of them. I think relationship with God, relationship with Jesus, cannot be separate from faith and obedience to him. We can't live a life not doing anything he says, but then say, oh yeah, I know Jesus. In fact, if you keep reading in John 14 and John 15, you'll find out it's impossible. That anyone who doesn't do what he says, it says he cuts them off as branches and throws them into a fire. Doesn't sound pleasant. Don't go there. There's this place where obedience matters desperately to God. And the thing is this, that obedience is not this like, we've twisted it because often I think when we think obedience, it makes us think of someone who's controlling. It's not. There's a place though where in right relationship, we want to do things that the other person needs us to do. A good relationship in a marriage actually requires you to do things. Not required necessarily out of demand by the person, but out of right relationship, to act in right relationship, you should be doing things that show your love and commitment to that person. It's the same with God. It's the same with Jesus. That if we actually want to know him, love him, and show that, then we're actually, this requirement gets put on our lives to actually do things he's calling us to do. The nice thing is that when we get to Jesus and the story of Jesus in the Bible and the Gospels, we see it's not as complicated as we make it. In fact, he boils it down to one in John 15. This is my new commandment. Love each other as I have loved you. Extremely difficult for us to do. Not too hard of an idea, though. For us to love the world around us and to think that if we were able to just do that, if we were able to be obedient in that one thing, it would transform the world around us. This is the story of Noah, him making a choice, his family making a choice to live in faith and obedience. So let's jump down. There's this quick little story I wanted to tell, but I don't have time today. But in Genesis 7, 16, it says, then the Lord closed the door behind him. I love this. He builds this boat, he gets on the boat, but he doesn't even have a way to close the door himself. Isn't this like following Christ? God, honestly, he constantly pushes us out on the edge and wants us to step out in faith and wants us to walk in obedience. But the reality is we're not even able to do that fully on our own. We still need someone to kind of close the door for us. And I just love this idea that God is literally physically involved in their lives. He's physically involved in your life. 
He wants to be present in your situations, your circumstances. Chapter 9-1, I'm going to have the worship team come up. In chapter 9-1, it says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And what we see here is a reiteration of the mandate put on Adam and Eve. We see that Adam and Eve had made this choice and things went awry and the world gets totally astray and God refreshes the world, but he re, you know, invites this mandate on humanity. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. And then in chapter 9, verse 9, he says, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants. This is this place where God wants to confirm his covenant with us. That he wants to confirm his relationship with you. But I really think that today, the the thing that we have to work against, even as just Americans or Westerners or just plain old humans, is that we want to try and do everything on our own. We want to try and make our choices on our own, our decisions on our own. We want to lead life like we want to lead it. But I think when we look at the story of Noah and we see this favor that Noah has found, it's connected to the obedience he has towards God, towards his Lord. This is what God's calling every one of us to. Not just to know of him, not just to respond to a prayer at the end of a service, not just to even get saved, even though that's the beginning stages, but to actually lead a life where we're obedient to what Christ is calling us. You know, I I love the prophetic, and the prophetic is just this place where God speaks to us, and we speak words that we're encouraging and building people up, and Sometimes there's these words of knowledge where God will speak directly to a person's situation. I love when God does that. But I often think this as well at the same time. We've got an entire Bible of words from God. And we see this life of Jesus laid out in the Gospels. We see the book of Acts and we see Paul's letters to the churches. And we don't even do those very well. Yet we're often looking for some new word from God. I think one of the the biggest scriptures in my life has been this. Be faithful in the small things. Be faithful in the small things. And whenever I heard that as a young person and even growing up, even now to this day, there's days where I get overwhelmed, especially even by what I think God is speaking to this church, to the North Country. I get overwhelmed by the idea of what's taking place and think I am not adequate for this, I'm not capable for this. And I think that we often do that. God will speak over our lives and we even almost push it off because it's scary or it looks too daunting. But the truth is if I can just simply say I'm going to be faithful in the small things. The big things will happen. You know what? God just told me to walk up that ramp. I don't know how the door is going to close. But I can walk up the ramp. And there's a place where God wants us in obedience to act in faith. And sometimes it's so hard when we look at things that are huge. 
But if we're just faithful in the small things, God will do the big things. If we can find this place where we begin to act a life of obedience and following Jesus as our Lord, God will do the big things. But sometimes we just get it backwards and we're always aiming for the big things or we're, we're wanting some new thing, but yet God's just saying, hey, how about you just do this? How about you just do this one thing? Can we stand this morning? I left these questions on your paper. It says, are we truly in relationship with God as Lord of our lives? And in what ways is Jesus calling you to show your faith through obedience? You know, this morning, I want to give an opportunity for you to respond because I, I really think there's a place where responding in any way can actually move us out of kind of a stuck place. You know, often we'll have altar calls here and there where people come forward and I've had people say, well, why do we do that? For me, there's nothing special about the front. It's no different. Jesus can meet you in your seat absolutely right where you're at just as much as he can meet you here. But there is something about a physical response to God. There's something about saying, I don't want to do this, but I will do this. That somehow opens the door for God to really do something in our lives. And I want to have, have a moment for that this morning. I want to do a moment where I'm going to pray, and the team's probably just going to start playing. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask, as, as I finish praying, if you want to step out in a new life of obedience to God, come forward. Just come forward, lift your hands as the team worships. Recommit yourself to him. Maybe you're in this room or watching online and, and you don't even know if you've ever made this commitment to God to say, I want to be a follower. Thank you, Terry. You can do it just simply by that. Listen, there's no special words that get you into heaven. It's more action than it is words. There's a confession in your life that has to say, I want to follow Jesus, more than it is a confession with your mouth. I would encourage you, if, that, if you want to do it for the first time, come forward. Start that relationship with Jesus. If that's you, I would tell someone today. But I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you forward. Jesus, we ask right now that you would do an incredible work in our hearts. God, that even as we read this story of Noah, and maybe we've heard it for a hundred thousand times, or maybe we've heard it our whole lives, God, or or we just kind of skip past these kinds of stories, God, as we read Genesis. God, I ask right now that you'd push this idea on us that we're called to be obedient to you, Jesus. God, that we're called to be people who make you the Lord of our lives, not just those who know God or know of you, but God, who literally say, you're our Lord. We're in relationship with you. We want to actually follow you, Jesus. And so, God, we commit our lives to that afresh today. God, we say we want to be obedient people who follow you in all your ways. In Jesus' name, if that's you, you want to recommit, I'd, I'd ask you to come right now. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.